Hello and welcome to Talk Gnosis, the web's premier talk show about Gnosis, Gnostics, Gnosticism, Theosophy, Blavatsky, Spirituality, the New Age, the Old Age, and anything else we feel like talking about. I'm Deacon Jonathan Stewart. I'm joined by my co-host, Bishop Lainey Peterson. Hello, Bishop. Hello, Deacon. How are you today? Oh, I'm doing fairly well, thank you. Uh, as I as we often say for the small talk at the beginning of the show, uh, I usually reiterate in the smoldering ruins of this broken world. So far, I'm generally doing well, and it's very cold outside. <laughs> it's actually balmy out here, um, Richard. I don't know where you are. I know you're in the suburbs, but it's actually like it's like tropical right now. I want to say oh, it's wow. in the 40s or something like that. And and, and yeah. we are just thrilled. About that. Yeah, it's, it's a lot better than it has been. Yeah. Okay, everybody flee, flee to Chicago and Illinois and, and bust out your swimsuits. Uh, <laughs> that Now, you heard the voice of our guest, Richard Smoley. That's right. It's the Illinois All-Stars tonight on Talk Gnosis <laughs> as our uh, studio with our producer, Jerome, is also out of Chicago. Uh, Richard Smoley, I'm sure a lot of people watching and listening are familiar with his amazing work, his body of work. And if you're not, you're in for a treat. But uh, I guess I should introduce him and say hi. Hi, hello, Richard. Hi, how are you? It's good oh, to be I'm, fan I'm fantastic, and, and thanks so much for joining us. Um, it's it's really great to have you on tonight because over the last eight or nine years of talk gnosis, we've had uh, a big hole, a big lack, and that is we have never done a show on theosophy until tonight, which is going to be our topic. Uh, that said, before we can get to this very important, very influential uh spiritual tradition uh we have some business at the top of the show which i'd like to put at the, the end of the show or i would not like to do at all but you know that's when the when the world to come comes and money is no longer a thing i won't have to do this anymore but until then uh we are viewer and listener supported we're brought to you by viewers and listeners like you if you are able to help us out financially so that we can do the show please go to patreon.com slash gnostic you can do Donate for as little as a dollar per piece of media per month. You can also put a cap on that in case we do a lot of pieces of media per month. And you can also go to paypal.me slash Gnostic and do a one-time donation there. If you're unable to help us out financially, we completely understand. And you can also uh, assist us in spreading the light of Gnosis by telling people about the show. Just, you know, mouth to ear. That really helps. Uh, posting it on your social media, taking your favorite episodes and emailing them to a friend, liking and subscribing on YouTube, uh, liking and leaving reviews, and subscribing on the podcatcher of your choice. There we go. The commercial is over. It's time to get enlightened. Uh, Richard, we're going to start with a big one, and I know that this could be a multi-part miniseries that would be 100 hours long, but if you could give us the elevator's uh, pitch, briefly tell us, what is theosophy? Well, theosophy, in a general sense, refers to divine wisdom, and theosophy, with a small t, you might say, refers to the esoteric tradition that many believe, including me, is basically universal and takes many different forms, uh, depending on the context of the time and the age. It, it is embedded uh, in many, probably all, great world religions. Uh, so it is that is theosophy in a generic sense. Theosophy with a capital T 
um, has to do with the Theosophical Society, which is an organization founded in 1875 in New York by um, H.P. Blavatsky, among others, and is now headquartered in India. I work at its uh, American headquarters, which is in uh, Wheaton, Illinois, about 25 miles west of Chicago. Um, the idea of theosophy, well, to join the Theosophical Society, you don't need to believe anything specific. You have three objects, that's what they call them. Uh, one is to establish a nucleus of the universal brotherhood of humanity, to explore the connections between science, philosophy, religion, and the arts, and to explore the potential latent in humanity. If you join the Theosophical Society, you have to sign uh, something that says that you basically agree with those three objects. That is it as far as um, your uh, belief is required. No one has to believe anything uh, to be part of the Theosophical Society. Uh, nobody can be thrown out of the Theosophical Society for anything they believe or don't believe. So uh, it is a, an area for uh, very open-minded spiritual inquiry. And I think that's its chief value. People who are in theosophy often have had quite a range of backgrounds in different spiritual traditions and are able to come to theosophical society groups, discussions, lectures, and get and share perspectives from all of these uh, traditions, none of which is privileged in any particular way. So that is the short version. And uh, the Theosophical Society is active uh, well, worldwide. Its largest uh, organization is in, actually in India, because India has such a huge population. But it's it, the American section uh, of the Theosophical Society is actually the oldest. So uh, that's, a, that's a, a short summary. Yeah. Well, you mentioned that the... The, the society is a, a space to explore spirituality, esoteric religion, but Blavatsky had some specific teachings and a cosmology and some doctrines, uh, as, as did some of the other founders of theosophy. Can you tell us a little bit about these and, and perhaps what you would think are some of the most important of these? Yeah. Well, Blavatsky wrote an enormous number. Her collected of works, her collected writings uh, amount to 15 substantial volumes. Uh, her major work is called The Secret Doctrine, which was published in 1888. She died in 1891. Uh, she was a Russian noblewoman who emigrated, well, all over the place. She first America, then India, eventually she ended up in England. And her cosmology, uh, her view of what she calls the secret doctrine is very intricate and very elaborate. Uh, and to say what it is in very simple terms, it it's, focuses on a process of involution and evolution. And that is involution into the world of matter, evolution back to the world of spirit. This is a process that uh, what she calls the monad, the individual entity, uh, which is present in all of us and in present even in atoms, goes into this process of manifestation and eventually uh, goes back out of it, presumably with all of the uh, wisdom and experiences gained over countless eons of uh, incarnations and manifestations. So the 
process is uh, a very long standing one. The, the view of theosophy toward this whole process is very positive. That is, this is a necessary thing for the universe to do, uh, each of us individually to do, uh, even though there are obviously many obstacles and um, hardships and problems that one may encounter. Right. Now, uh, you did mention this, this openness, and there's not a lot of requirements when it comes to doctrine and practice, but is there some spiritual practices within the, the theosophical society like uh, prayer meditation ritual is something for people to do when when they feel like they they really want to evolve their spirituality um yeah there are various uh types of meditation that uh one can do uh, they're specified in some theosophical works uh they're not obligatory and uh, many members of the Theosophical Society, including me, don't use them. I, I happen to do a different type of meditation, and, you know, which I've done over the years. Uh, nobody has any particular prejudice against that, but there are uh, definitely practices and uh, uh, meditations that one can do. Uh, theos theosophy is, is a non, I mean, the Theosophy of Blavatsky, Right, uh, the capital T theosophy of Blavatsky is uh, non-theistic. That much said, um, you can certainly belong to the Theosophical Society if you believe in God. Uh, but their Blavatsky's view, which is comes basically basically from the Hindu tradition, is um, you know non-theistic or kind of meta-theistic as some Indian philosophies are. As a result, uh, theosophists, as a rule, don't focus a great deal on prayer, although what you do with your own time and your own spiritual practice is your own business. And again, nobody's going to take you to task for it. There is, in fact, a branch of Christianity that is closely linked to theosophy. And it's called the Liberal Catholic Church. It was founded in 1916. And it basically embraced a lot of the ritual of Roman Catholicism and high Anglicanism while leaving behind many of the doctrines. For example, uh, people in the Liberal Catholic Church are likely to believe in reincarnation, whereas you're not really supposed to believe in reincarnation if you're an Anglican or a Catholic, although <laughs> a large number of them do, but that's another story. So there is that aspect of it. Uh, there's a, uh, even a sacramental aspect of it. There are people who are, you know, liberal Catholic bishops who live on campus. And, um, you know, it is, it is a small religion, uh, but uh, it nonetheless is a religion and uses the terms of Christianity. So even though theosophists don't, you know, as a rule, as a body generally pray, um, there's certainly room for that in the theosophical tradition. Right. And actually, uh, you know, you mentioned metatheism uh, uh, or, or spirituality that uh, perhaps is not theistically based, uh, which I would it argue uh, the ancient Gnostics, at least, you know, you wouldn't talk about them not being theistic, but I think you would find a lot of similarities between them and, and Hindu metatheistic thought, which uh, leads quite well to my next question. Do you see similarities between Gnosticism and, and theosophy, I guess, capital T theosophy, and yeah, lower T as well? 
Well, Blavatsky herself said that the early Gnostics uh, possessed the esoteric doctrine in Christianity and that when they were persecuted, suppressed, and so on, uh, and their religion uh, at least went into quiescence, uh, that was very much lost in Christianity. Um, again, there are many Christians who are um, uh, theosophists and vice versa, uh, although Blavatsky herself was extremely critical of Christianity. So the idea that Blavatsky saw in Gnosticism was the primacy of knowledge rather than doctrine, belief, faith, worship as the most important thing in spiritual practice and development. And this knowledge, this gnosis, is uh, a matter of inner awakening. So in that respect, uh, she is very, very, um, or, and capital T Theosophy is very much in line with the Gnostics. Now, uh, Blavatsky had a secretary uh, for a number of years uh, whose name was, uh, was a man named G.R.S. Mead. And uh, after her passing, he became a, a leading scholar of Gnosticism. And many people who are into Gnosticism know Mead's books, which are still read today, Echoes from the Gnosis, Fragments of a Faith Forgotten, his edition of Epistus Sophia, and so on. So there is a remarkable uh, connection. Uh, in fact, Jung, uh, C.G. Jung, was uh, very much interested in Gnosticism, and he became familiar with it uh, and exposed to it by reading Mead's uh, writings. So these are all extremely in interconnected. So those are the similarities. The difference uh, has to do with one principal thing, and it is the problematic nature of human existence. Humanity, man, if you like, is the animal that believes something is wrong. There's the sense that something is really just not right about things. And yeah, you can give political, economic, sociological reasons for it, but somehow, even with all of the political systems, social systems, and economic systems, they don't seem to quite cut to this, the sense of something that is problematic in human nature. Uh, theosophy, as I say, views this as just a necessary descent, uh, a, a necessary part of our education. Gnosticism tends to view it in a much more um, negative light. That is to say, there was some cosmic fall, some cosmic error that needs to be repaired. And so both of them have this general uh, motif of ascending from spirit into matter, which is you know, where we are more or less, and back up again. Uh, theosophy probably views this in a more positive light than um, many Gnostics do. And we can well ask ourselves, well, is, uh, is this a necessary process uh, that we're going through, or is this somehow a fall or a diversion? Did, did something somehow go wrong? And I think this uh, is such a large issue, such a vast topic for contemplation that I don't believe ultimately anyone alive uh, knows the final answer. And I think that can be looked at uh, even perhaps accurately from both of those angles and many others. 
Yeah, I, I completely agree with you, and uh, they seem like contradictions, but again, we're we're ants trying to understand a rocket ship, right? So our limited point of view is only going to allow us to understand things in certain ways and from certain perspectives. Uh, talking about understanding way uh, things from certain ways and certain perspectives, before I keep barreling along, uh, Bishop Lady, do you have any questions, thoughts, anything you want to get in there? Yeah, there were actually a couple of things. First of all, I know that a lot of modern Gnostic clergy, those who are part of the sacramental wing of modern Gnosticism, have uh, apostolic succession through the liberal Catholic Church. Not all of them, uh, but many of them do from the liberal Catholic bishops. And I know that there, in fact, was a um, church here in, in the Chicago suburbs that met at a liberal Catholic parish building. Um, so I don't know, Richard, if you're familiar with that connection at all, but that is something that happened along the way. Well, the whole apostolic connection of kind of the alternative Catholic church churches is, of course, a vast uh, net of complications. <laughs> and nuisances, <laughs> yes. And uh, I'm sure that you understand it better than I do, although I understand some of the basics. But yes, there is some. I mean, for example, one of the most prominent members of the Theosophical Society in the United States is uh, Stefan Huller, yeah. who is based in Hollywood and who is um, a bishop. Uh, his church is called the Ecclesia Gnostica, also mm -hmm. based in Hollywood. And he claims apostolic succession basically through a Dutch old Catholic line. As I think you know, uh, after the First Vatican Council in 1870, when um, the infallibility of the Pope was promulgated as a doctrine, a number of otherwise respectable uh, Orthodox clergy and bishops refused to accept this and split off and became what is generically known as the old Catholics. Mm -hmm. So through, uh, and it, as you know, it's much more complicated even than that, but um, many of the, um, uh, you know, kind of Gnostic bishops claim uh, at the apostolic succession uh, through this line. And some of them are affiliated with theosophy. Uh, and I say Stefan Haller is certainly the best known of them. He's um, certainly a widely read uh, published author. And um, uh, I've known him for years. He's a, he's a good friend. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we, in fact, he's, I've, he's been on this show um, it, before and he's you know delightful man who's done, his church has done a tremendous amount for the modern Gnostic movement, including having electionary and, and and they've really done some some pretty spectacular stuff with, you know, there's one thing about the liberal Catholics and, and Bishop Heller is that these are some folks who have in many ways put their money by their mouth is and they have parish buildings and they have really good formation programs. So I have a great deal of admiration for him as well as many of the liberal Catholic churches out there. The other question, and, and forgive me if I am wrong about this, um, did Madame Blavatsky was, was, did she uh, promulgate the idea of the ascended masters who are teaching humanity or am I getting this mixed up? Well, the masters, Blavatsky did claim contact with certain masters who were based, um, she said in the Himalayas or beyond the Himalayas, uh, their identities are unknown. Mm -hmm. uh, two most prominent ones were called Kupumi and Moria. Uh, and she did claim to have contacts with these. There are even 
uh, letters written uh, by them to various people, which you can uh, buy and read as the Mahatma letters. Uh, but these people were uh, in the flesh. They were real human beings, although they had certain paranormal powers. So uh, the concept of ascended masters, that is to say masters on the inner planes, was not a doctrine that was really terribly well developed in theosophy. Um, I don't think there's any kind of uh, basic objection to it. And probably a lot of people believe uh, that there are masters on the inner planes, and some may even believe they have contact with them. But the concept of ascended masters uh, comes not from theosophy, uh, but from uh, Guy and Edna Ballard. It was a California couple. Uh, Guy Ballard climbing on Mount Shasta in the 30s claimed he encountered, I believe, the master Saint Germain, identified mm -hmm. with the okay. historical Comte de Saint-Germain Saint in the uh, 18th century. And they started this I am movement. Uh, and a related movement is, of course, um, Elizabeth Clare Prophet's Church Universal and Triumph, which also has a great deal about ascended masters. Uh, but those are not really strictly um, speaking out of theosophy itself. Okay. I just was, I, I was, couldn't remember exactly. It's hard to keep some, some of these doctrines straight. Um, the Golden Dawn, of course, they claim to have inner contact with people on the physical plane and, um, and, and, and that as well. So I was just curious. It's a common uh, it's a common theme throughout esoteric history. Yeah. Um, um, you know, for example, there was a, a Jewish Kabbalist in the 16th century named Joseph Caro, who um, had this inner teacher that is generally referred to as a Magid, which basically means teacher. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, amusingly enough, some scholar actually went back and looked at Caro's own writings and said, "Well, it turns out that this master was female." <laughs> or he described them in, uh, you know, in, in uh, well, in those terms. So uh, in that particular case, this rabbi had or said he had a master who um, had feminine form. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And, and even in the fourth way, um, there's talk of A, B and C influences. And, and you know, Gurdjieff claimed that he learned from various teachers and then that they're supposedly um individuals who are enlightened enough to disseminate um, teachings that can wake people up. So it's, it, it is a fairly common theme. Yeah. 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 I mean, uh, uh, I suppose you could uh, liken it to um, tight, uh, yeast in a sense. And I think the new Testament alludes to this um, in its use of leaven as a metaphor, beware the leaven of the scribes and the Pharisees, that is to say, uh, this uh, spiritual influence can be bad as well as good. Um, yeah. it, can be, it, it can, these bad influences can be transmitted um, as well as beneficial ones. True, true. Anybody who's ever tried to make sourdough bread knows that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Richard, we, we kind of covered this or, or touched on it, but just to double check in case there's anybody we're, we're missing. So you mentioned GRS Mead, you mentioned uh, Stefan Heller, but it, is there other uh, roles that theosophists played and I guess play in this, the dissemination of Gnostic thought and Gnostic texts? Uh, those are the major ones. Uh, it, I mean, theosophists have been extremely influential in any number of areas. Uh, in fact, Abstract art is generally 
the establishment of abstract art in the 20th century uh, is generally traced to a treatise by Vasily Kandinsky written, published I think in 1911, called Concerning the Spiritual in Art. And Kandinsky was a theosophist and he used ideas taken um, from clairvoyant visions by Annie Besant, second president of the Theosophical Society and her uh, uh, comrade C.W. Ledbetter, who, by the way, was the founder of the liberal Catholic Church. So theosophy has actually been a remarkably rich influence. Uh, Theosophy, well, I read an interview with Einstein, I think it was published in the 30s, and he said he kept a copy of the secret doctrine on his desk. And uh, this is widely quoted. And um, he, he looked into it to deal with a problem he couldn't really figure out. I don't think anyone has figured it out, which has to do with, with energy. You know, mass, matter is energy. So what's energy, right? Well, it seems to be a lot of little particles spinning around. Well, what are these little particles spinning around, who are spinning around made of? They're made of more little particles spinning around. So is there just this infinite regress of just tiny, tiny, tiny particles going back forever, or is there a stopping point? Um, and this is a question that I find fascinating. I think it puzzled mm-hmm. Einstein. I don't believe uh, anyone has solved it in any intelligible way at this day, but he said he looked into the Blavatsky's secret doctrine just to s- stimulate his thinking. He said, you know, when I, uh, you know, I wrote to my friend Professor Heisenberg recently and suggested he do the same thing. So, you know, it's theosophy has been, uh, although it's always been a very small movement, it, it, it has been a remarkably influential one, and um, um, in ways that are little recognized. Yeah, yeah, that's actually a question I forgot to to put on our sheet, which is uh, it was an incredibly influential among uh, artists, writers, composers at the end of the eighteen hundreds and early twentieth century. You know, just as we're speaking, I, I brought up a. Uh, a list of uh, famous people, some of whom were actual members of the society, others who were inspired. And it uh, it goes from the Russian co- composer Skriabin, who I'm a big fan of, to H.P. Uh, Lovecraft, who wasn't a member but read Blavatsky and was inspired by her, Gustav Mahler, uh, Montessori, the founder of the Montessori schools, uh, Jackson Pollock is on here, just like you're talking mm-hmm. about with uh, with Arch. Uh, it's it's really quite a quite an amazing uh, uh, list of. Of people who are either members or were engaging with the work in 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 a way that actually inspired their own work. Uh, I see L. Frank Baum, the uh, the creator of uh, the Wizard of Oz, was an actual member of the uh, the Theosophical Society. Um, so uh, you know these these are writers and thinkers that we're still engaging with in, in today. Yeah, I mean one person you could put in there um, is Thomas Edison, oh. and um, I think. He, he was a very early member of the Theosophical Society, and um, uh, his ideas were influenced them. I read an interview with him, I think it appeared in Harper's in 1890, in which he said, atoms are conscious. They, they are aware of each other. They interact with each other um, in ways that show that some kind of cognition, how an, a hydrogen atom can recognize somehow an oxygen atom. This is not introspective consciousness such as we have, but it is consciousness of a kind. And uh, another theosophist, Alice Bailey, wrote a very uh, influential and important book, I think, entitled The Consciousness of the Atom. 
Wow. And now you're starting to see uh, all sorts of stories. The, the articles and the theories all seem somewhat garbled, but you're starting to see um, quantum physicists saying, well, consciousness may be uh, the ground of the universe. This actually was something I mentioned and set out in a book of mine published in 2009 called The Dice Game of Shiva, How Consciousness Creates the Universe. But that's an idea, a theme that's been throughout theosophy and has pervaded both science and now increasingly um, mass culture as well. Yeah. Um, do you feel like uh, theosophy is relevant to this very strange time that we live in, or is it just you know, something that should be relegated to the 20th and 19th centuries? Well, I think it's uh, very appealing or could be very appealing to a large portion of the people who identify themselves as uh, spiritual but not religious. That is to say, they have some sense of a world beyond this one and even an interest in it, but they're really rather... Um, uncomfortable with the traditional doctrines of the churches. Uh, they don't really believe that their clergymen can tell them anything uh, about these realms. And the, the chief reason they believe this about their clergymen is because their clergymen can't. Uh, any number of people will have these experiences like, oh, well, I appeared... Uh, yeah, this is actually quite common. People will see uh, dead relatives appear to them, usually in the first few days after death. Yeah. Right. Uh, and what happens? Well, they either don't tell anybody because they're afraid they think they're crazy, uh, or they might actually go to their priest and minister who um, almost certainly uh, be totally unhelpful uh, about it and give them a bullshit answer. I, I certainly don't mean to disparage uh, the clergy and the persons of you too, or the Gnostic movement, but if you go to the typical Catholic or Protestant uh, cleric, that's probably what you're going to get. So the, the theosophy, I think, has some allure for these people who want to discuss spirituality and explore it in an open-minded, intelligent way without uh, having to believe in any particular doctrines or dogmas and uh, always being able to realize that, well, there's always further to go. There's always more to know, and we don't know the whole picture. Uh, we can maybe see more of the whole picture as we go along, uh, but, of course, there's no real stopping point. Um, and, and I know you talked about this sort of at, at the top of the show, but just to clarify, the, both small T and large T theosophy would talk about theosophy being present in all the world's religions, right? Now, in some in some forms, it may be misunderstood or degraded or teachers or movements came along and uh, uh, sort of uh, put their own spin on it. And sometimes it's not recognizable. Is, is that correct that theosophy is... Small t, large, uh, uh, small t, little t can be found in in all cultures, all different religions and spiritual movements. Is this something that's that's believed or taught, uh, taught and talked about? Yeah, and I think there's evidence for it. But let's let's just focus in on one way that it's been distorted. As you know uh, from your Gnostic studies, the early Christians uh, believed that the human entity was a tripartite entity consisting of the spirit, the soul, the body. Yeah. Pneuma, psyche, and soma, right? Mm -hmm. um, now, that was part of Christianity originally, but it got lost. 
there, you will not get a clear idea answer about theologians about the difference between soul and spirit uh, in uh, contemporary theological thought. Um, might it might even be fun to ask and see what you come up with. Um, but this idea was preserved in the esoteric tradition. Mm -hmm. uh, in a sense, I, I, the way I would put it is that the spirit, uh, which later esoteric Christianity called the noose or consciousness, uh, is kind of that the true eye, the self that sees out the world through the psyche, the uh, soul, that is to say, the um, sphere of thoughts and emotions that kind of make you up um, in that realm, and then externally the body. And theosophy, particularly in its early stages, um, brought back that tripartite um, uh, model of the human entity. Later on, they, it, as a result of further influences, these were subdivided into now what are now basically seven, but they're still basically, um, it's basically still the same teaching. And so this was present in originally in Christianity. Uh, it just got buried over by the churches because um, as the church got more powerful, it got more uh, attractive to people who were interested in power and who didn't really care very much about spirituality and weren't really all that comfortable with people who actually knew something about it. If you think about it, this explains a great deal of um, the state of religion in the contemporary West today. Exactly. Now, if, if someone's uh, watching the, the show, listening to the show, and wow, I'm interested in theosophy, the Theosophical Society, where should they get started? Well, why don't, not, why don't they just take a look at our website, theosophical.org, and, you know, there's plenty of activities, lectures, uh, YouTube videos uh, that you can watch. Uh, we have a Thursday night lecture series that um, used to be live um, before the, before the uh, epidemic or the pandemic. It uh, probably will be again, but it's now webcast. I mean, I'm doing myself a uh, a lecture for them. I, 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 I like do a Thursday night lecture, I don't know, maybe two or three times a year. There are many other uh, speakers as well. Um, I believe Andrew Harvey is a very well-known author and mystic um, uh, well, I did an interview with him. I don't know uh, if it's up yet. I think it is. So there are a lot of activities you can do. We have we do have a library, uh, a, which you know, if you could join, uh, actually can be a lending library by mail or in person uh, these days by appointment for the usual reasons. So there and there are our um, local groups. They're either called the more established, larger ones are called lodges, as in Masonic lodges although there's no connection with masonry um, per se. And the smaller ones that aren't really quite that big or well-established are called um, study groups. And there are plenty of those all over the country. And um, I'd say the people, the caliber of the people I've met throughout uh, all of these is um, really quite high. Um, uh, before we start the, the wrapping up process, uh, Bishop Laney, do you have uh, questions, comments, things you want to get in? Um, are, are, are the is the Theosophical Society still publishing Quest magazine? Yeah, I'm the editor. That's right. I, I knew you were. I just wanted, wanted to check on it because I know it's a it's a really great magazine. Um, a lot of really you know yeah. good articles in there. It's it's actually got quite a bit of influence. It seems to me uh, beyond the Theosophical Society itself. It seems yeah. like a lot of people read it. You know, 
it's distributed widely, it seems, and and get a lot out of it. Well, I'm very glad to hear that. Yeah, I um, that's my principal job at the Theosophical Society. I'm editor of Quest, subtitled Journal of the Theosophical Society in America. And um, I make a, a, a real effort not only to deal with things that are kind of directly relevant uh, to theosophy, but... Um, ideas in the broader sense. The issue I'm working on now has a long article by a British physicist named Bernard Carr, who studied and even lived with Stephen Hawking way back oh. when. Wow. And his theories, of Bernard Carr's theories about the link between spirituality, psychic phenomena, and um, physics. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's, that's the kind of thing. Uh, Ravi Ravinda, uh, another, um, Physicist who uh, teaches regularly for the Theosophical Society has another um, uh, article on that issue. Uh, I just happen to be thinking this because this happens to be the one I'm working on. But I think these are relevant to a, a wide range of interests, not just people who are interested in Blavatsky's theosophy or Blavatsky and her circle. Um, by the way, I, as I, as I um, for some reason, this occurs to me, theosophy has become... Um, an area of remarkable interest by academic religious historians. Mm -hmm. uh, 30, 35 years ago, there was nothing. And mm -hmm. whatever written about it was snide and usually inaccurate to one degree mm -hmm. or another. But now there's just voluminous studies done by um, professors at respected universities of the Theosophical Society, particularly in its first 50 years. So it has become a remarkable area of academic interest. Um, do, these, do these professors, experts kind of know about theosophy and the internals kind of gnosis sense? Uh, most of them probably not, but they are pretty good at saying, well, X met Y in 1893 or whoever, and providing in terms of you know, that kind of historical background, um, and even to some extent, a history of ideas, uh, those things can be very useful. Yeah. Uh, Richard, can you tell us, uh, I mentioned your body of work, uh, and of course, everybody should go out and buy all of your books. Uh, they're all excellent. But I understand that you have a new book uh, that's just recently come out this month, right? Yes, its official publication date is actually February 26th. And uh, it's called The Truth About Magic. It's also available as an audio and video series. That is, you can watch it or listen to it as well as read it. Uh, the book itself, which is um, uh, a hardcover book you, you can read, is basically my edit of my uh, talks on these subjects. And they go for a range of things, including, I don't know, psychic phenomena, ghosts, uh, you know, magic in the occult sense. Uh, even psychedelics and spirituality. It's meant to be a very quick, easy to read, um, accessible guide to a lot of things that people have heard a lot about, uh, but have never heard about uh, without a lot of nonsense. So it's an attempt to be something really clear, uh, precise, intelligent, um, yet uh, down to earth. So that is my latest project. The yeah, Truth yeah. Not Magic. Published by G and D Media. Okay, very cool. We'll make sure to uh, to put a link into to that in the show notes so that people can check it out. So uh, thanks so much for coming on, Richard. Uh, it's been uh, awesome talking to you and learning more about theosophy and finally plugging that hole of uh, an important uh, spiritual tradition in the West that is esoteric that has some overlap of Gnosticism. Yet we we didn't get a chance to do the show until now. So thanks so much for coming on. 
Well, it's my pleasure. I really appreciate uh, seeing you. It's good to see you again, Lainey. Uh, Great to see you. We've actually uh, met in person, and I've enjoyed your hospitality more than once. So Absolutely. Your, your, your uh, questions were very intelligent and insightful, and it's been uh, really good to interact with you. Yeah. Okay. Well, well thank you that's so a, much. <laughs> that, that's a great note to end on. Okay, everybody. This is Deacon Jonathan Stewart signing off. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, Take watchers, care. Listeners, farewell. Thank